Thank you so much for being on the show today, Karen. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so you know honored to be here. Of course. It's my pleasure. And as we were just talking about before uh, we started recording now, I am always so glad to see people like us who really are motivated to help women with a different approach to health and fitness. And with all of these things for me and my clients, this is so much bigger than just weight loss or fat loss or whatever it is. It's really an avenue into getting into like the deepest parts of yourself. But you really don't know that at the beginning. It's like this thing that happens. Sometimes when I work with my clients, they're like, oh my God, since I started working with you now, like I fixed my budget. Like my house is decorated differently. I changed careers. Um, And that's like the whole point of why I'm so passionate about doing what I do. So I would love to start by you telling us a little bit about you, um, maybe what you do now and how you got to doing that as well. Yeah. Well, right now I work with women online through online courses and um, one-on-one coaching, just because it's online, I, I don't do the eating disorder work anymore. I have an eating disorder clinic for the nutrition department at an yes. eating disorder clinic for about eight eight to nine years. Um, but now it's more yo-yo dieting. Maybe they previously had an eating disorder, um, body image struggles. And I think most of the women that come to me are mothers at this point, And they're either worried about passing it down to their children or they start to see the habits and it's like, okay, I, I need to look at this a different way. I'm I, the number one thing I hear is I'm just, I'm so sick of dieting. I just want to feel peace. Oh yes. Yeah. And have like that mental space open up for other stuff. Cause we can spend all day, literally our entire lives, decades thinking about this. Yeah. And I think that's what you said, you know, finding that deeper self, because once the food fog lifts, right? Yes. <laughs> um, you know, there's so much freedom and things that come in that we forget. And so it was really when I was working, that was my passion was working in the clinic. But after about eight to nine years, what I started to see over and over again and maybe it's just the evolution of a person and growth and change. I started to have all of these ideas and things that I wanted to change because I would see someone who was maybe 130% of their ideal body weight, right? They were considered at a doctor overweight, but they were completely malnourished and, Mm -hmm. and so sick and struggling, but they would get turned down by the insurance companies because their weight wasn't considered underweight. And so it was getting this be under your ideal body weight. You need to be a certain level of sickness. And the treatment was not long enough. And so they would keep cycling back and forth, falling down, coming back. And that was frustrating to see. So I wanted to remove the health insurance piece, you know, Mm. because it would stop people from doing the full work. And then the other piece was the mothers who would come in that just, it just struck me over and over. And it's the first line in my book within, which is, it's too late for me, save her. I heard it over, mm, oh my gosh. over, over again. And it broke my heart. Not because I was working with the, the children and sending them home to an environment that wasn't switched, but that they didn't believe that they, that their life could look so much better, that it didn't matter if they were struggling for 30 years. But I think that there is some messaging that they were receiving, which was, you know, it's, 
not, it's too late. You know, if you don't catch it earlier, if you don't do this. And so they almost would give up. Yes. And it just made me sad. So it became kind of the next, I don't know, progression of my work, I think. Absolutely. And something that's so common, I mean, I went through that with my mom as well. Um, and it's such a common struggle amongst women and, the, you know, mothers and daughters. And I think for some women, I mean, I think it's getting better now and having a little bit more awareness around this stuff. Um, but my mom and I went through that growing up completely. And we actually did a whole podcast episode uh, where she just really thought like she was doing her best when in reality um, it was not uh, optimal. And I see that common thing so many times, like no fault of her own, like literally thinking, and I think many women do that too, like I'm just really doing the best for them. Um, But knowing that, what are the things that you suggest to your clients in order to help their daughters have a healthy relationship with food and a healthy body image? Yeah. So, and I, and, and I would just to preface, like I have a daughter who's 11. Mm, And so when she was born, you know, that's when this kind of started this whole work, because I come from a family of addiction. My grandfather Mm. was an alcoholic. uh, Both of my mom's sisters were alcoholics. Um, I feel the pull, like, you know, like I don't, I can't, I don't know how to describe it any other way, but I could easily numb with alcohol, shopping, food. I mean. Oh, me too. I'm there. I'm, I have a propensity for it too. Yes, yes. I feel I feel it inside of me mm-hmm. almost every day. Um, it's just very quiet now yes. because I, I have the skills and the anchors and the spirituality and the connection, you know, with myself. But I said, you know what? There's a certain degree which I, I can't save her from. I don't know if she's going to struggle. Um, So what I can control is putting as much content out there and doing the work and taking my inner voice outside of myself to share with her um, so that if she does, she knows that there is strength and struggle and she can reach out for help with shame. And that I can control. And so that really became my focus. So where I work with um, the women is, And why the book is called within is I broke it up into two parts. So that first piece is do that work on yourself. Don't take that stress. You know, even if you feel like you see things going on and you're like, I did this. or I see her looking in the mirror or saying that she's fat or, or not wanting to wear certain clothes or, you know, because I, I know I've said things. It is what it is. Like you said, it's like you, we can't go back and change it. We, why beat ourselves up? But what an awesome journey to take them on for you, them to see the progression and change in you. Um, sometimes that's enough on its own. Sometimes you have to have those conversations. I had a client who um, did a lot of body bashing and now her kids were teenagers. I said, you get to the place where you're feeling, you know, happy with where you feel mentally, physically, emotionally, then Let's take it to them. And so then you feel a lot stronger to say, listen, I did do this, right? And this is how I struggled. This is how much it took up of my time. These are the, these are the consequences to that. And I don't want that for you. And so one of the most beautiful things of that conversation was ha- saying, we have things that we can bring down in our legacy. And there's beautiful things that we want to pass on to our, our, the next generations. Mm-hmm. But we can also decide what ends with us. 
Yeah. So let's choose to end this with us and empower them in that way and have those conversations. So that any mom who says, oh my goodness, I've, I, my kids are in college. It's not too late. It's yeah. never too late. Yeah. And especially I think like, you know, I think it's important too. For me, it was really important for me to heal, um, like to do the actual healing independent of my mother. You know what I mean? To like really go yeah. on my own journey through this entire thing. But I think it can add another layer layer of healing to talk about it later and to yeah. say like, hey, this is what's going on with me. Like my mom told me that she literally did not have a moment from the time that I was born to the time my sister was like 13, which is maybe, which was 18 years where wow. she had a moment to herself, you know, wow. working full time, taking care of the house. You know, my father traveled a lot. So to know that she's like, I didn't have time to deal with emotions or to deal with anything. I had to run your house. I had to take, you know, our house, take care of you and your sister. And there's no time for me to meditate. You know, there's no time for me to, you know, to do all these things when I'm just, you know, go, go, go mode in life. And I think, like I said, now the narrative is getting um, better in a way where like self-care is a little bit more prioritized as a culture, I think. Um, But when my mom and I sat and had that connection together talking about that, it was extremely powerful. And I had, although I had healed, it was very validating to me to get that like, wow, now I understand and can have compassion thinking back on my life for how things were. Um, yeah. I our- love what you said about that because it makes me think of, because uh, one of the most common conversations that we have, right, is when we're living in that past and that library looping over and over, um, a common part of anger and that we need to release for a lot of people is um, if my mother or, you know, because it's usually a generational thing. It's It started there. So say, if my mother hadn't taken me to Weight Watchers meetings or hadn't, you know, said this or been dieting all the time or, or the other ways had healthy food and they used to lock up, you know, the junk food. And so they gave that kind of, I would be happier now. I wouldn't be struggling with this. Like uh, life would be better. Yes. And it's like, that's a heavy load to bear. And we don't even know if that's true. What if they had a healthy relationship with food and something else harder, more struck, like we all, you know what I mean? At least with the food and the body, it's something we can work on. We can learn from, it can be that guide. There's other, you know, it could be worse. Why did we decide it? It would be better. Yeah. (laughs) And and releasing that. Cause that's a, that's a heavy thing to carry. And to put onto someone. Yeah, yeah, you can't, yeah, you really can't control and you can't go back into the past and change things. So I'm a big fan of Byron Katie, who just says, like, deal with reality as it is right now. Like, what are maybe some action steps we can take, like, in the present moment? Um, On this subject, I also hear a lot of women that come to me that ask me, like, what are some actual practical things that I can do for the food in my house? Like, should I not keep sugar in my house? Should I not keep Oreos even though my kid is overeating Oreos? Should I never compliment them on the way that they look? Uh, what do you think about those two things? Those are like the two common, most common conversations I get from my clients and just like being out in the world and having people talk to me. So what do you think about those uh, two things? Yeah, I, they're great um, subjects. So I, I'll start by saying what I 
after you do that work within yourself, what I have um, my clients do, and I actually put it in the book, I put my family manifesto in the book. So Mm. I create, I have a family manifesto and they are the beliefs that we've decided we hold true. Um, So it could mean, you know, there's no food that's good or bad, or we don't need a food to get a dessert. That's like, you know what I mean? Like eat your vegetables so you can have dessert and like teaching that it's, well, this tastes bad. So then you can get that. And so we have those kinds of things like food is not a reward. You can have it anytime. And where that's really been helpful is to have conversations. Um, Because when you said the Oreo thing, it reminded me, I think sometimes people learn well with stories. So I'll share this story. Absolutely. So I had a client, she had four kids and she was a yo-yo dieter And she would, her kids would come home and they would throw their book bags down and run to the pantry and they would have the Oreos and the sugar, you know, whatever, because she didn't want to label it as bad. But then she would be really stressed out because she knew it wasn't really healthy for them. And she was, it was just this looping panic, you know, every day, every day. And so she's like, I don't know what to do. I don't want to remove it. I don't, you know, but it's making me anxious. And to her was, okay, let first things first is what do you really want when they come home? And it's like, you want calm, you want peace, right? So like the throwing the bags, the running to the pantry. So what can we just do? Let's take the food part out of that. Um, you could just say, mom needs to cook. Now we're not going to, we're shifting this. You have to hang up your bag before you can have your snack. And the snacks are going to be laid out on the counter and you get to choose from that. And we don't go in the kitchen because mom's going to cook. And she was so petrified they were going to fight her on it mm-hmm. that, um, and they totally did not fight her on it, like at all. They were more than happy to just go and pick. And she could rotate. And I said, you know, you providing options that you feel like give them energy, right? Like I always cut up fruits and vegetables before dinner because that's when they're hungry. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so they'll snack on that. And I don't always serve it with dinner. That works for my family. Um but there was also a lot of stress around that nighttime routine. So it was like what, what the fight was over the shower. They wanted to take it in the morning. She wanted them to take it at night because of germs and stuff. But I was like, can you give that up and let them just shower in the morning and just wash their hands and face? So it was a conversation of give and take that um, the kids felt involved in and it worked really well. But she wasn't allowing herself that general mother intuition of like of modeling because she was so worried about the labeling of the foods. Um, but if you just don't like not labeling a food doesn't mean it's a free for all. It just means it's not a labeled. It's like, Oh, can I, I want Oreos be like, great. We, there'll be a time and place for that right now. We're going to have fruit. I think the language Mm -hmm. is just, it's just calm. But when you have that manifesto, you don't, you can present it in that calm way. Cause it's yeah. like, don't remember, like this is what our family has. And what I love about the manifesto is not only empower parents, but it says to the kids, one day you'll have a family and you can create your own. You don't have to take our family manifesto. Mm. Um, it's okay. Like not every family has the exact same beliefs. So when I was um, taking my daughter to swim, we heard another mom on the swim team say to her child, um, if you beat your time, like if you drop time, I'll buy you ice cream. And I said, okay. My daughter heard it. 
So after swim, I just used it as like I had the med, you know, and I said, do you know why I don't say like, I'll buy you ice cream if you drop your time? And she was like, no. And I said, well, I just don't believe ice cream's not special. We can have it any time. Like I don't mm. want, I said, and I don't want you to think you have to earn it. So I, I want you to just do that because you want to improve your time and see it. And she's like, I like that, that we do it like that. And I don't want to have ice cream. It was just a discussion, but it wasn't to put the other mom down. It's just like every family has different rules, right? And different things and different beliefs. And these are ours and this is why. So sometimes I think it's just really helpful to, to kids are so smart and, but they can't read our minds. Take it out of your mind and give them that inner dialogue. Like, Mommy's not going to the gym today because she's tired. Sometimes it's good to like rest your body. Mm-hmm. Just say it out loud. It may seem silly, but I really think that it helps them um, because they can't. They don't know our inner dialogue. Yeah, and it also helps too to give them the power as well. You know, yeah, that's what we want to do, right? We want to foster their intuition, but yes. still be that parent. It's like and guide. You know, yeah, and guide. So you can guide while also like. Um, here's an example. My son loves candy. Um, I have candy. So I do not high sugar. I have the opposite. I have candy. I have boxes of cake. Like it's all in my house, but it's not special. Like yeah. they don't on Halloween. They barely even ate the candy. It's just cause we just, it's con- We just have it around. It's not a big deal. But what I teach them is, um, sugar, sweets, desserts, whatever. It's a luck. It's luxury, meaning value. Like when you have it, it needs to be like the best. Special. Oh, so picky. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's worthy of your mouth. And that looks like different (laughs) for different people. Yeah. And so like you think like they don't, they know my son went to a birthday party at like four years old. He started, I don't want cake. I'm like, why don't you want the birthday cake? He's like, I don't really like cake. But he knows I'll get a goodie bag. Can I have a piece of candy? Mm. And I, I didn't have to say, you have to choose between one or the other. Yeah. They, they really do learn and learn fast when you have that relaxed kind of feeling. Because what I tell my uh, families with the sugar piece, if you do what I'm saying, right? And it does, don't expect change right away if you've had a certain way in your household. Mm-hmm. But if they're fighting with you or they're throwing a tantrum or whatever, there might be something like even deeper. So just take it off of the food and start to look around, you know, what's going on at school, check in with the teachers, check in with, the, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That, that you feel that strongly about it. Exactly. And to also like, I feel like if it's not, it, where the issue comes in is when the language comes in of like, it's not allowed. You cannot have this. And that creates like, imagine we, we all have our own inner child as adults. So imagine like a child uh, telling a child that it's just going to make them want to do the opposite. So I think the psychology around this is so nuanced and obviously every family is different, but I know that a lot of mothers will get some solace from those tips. And it's also empowering to know that like you can create your own manifesto. Anybody can, that can, um, have an intention of keeping your family happy and healthy while also being happy and healthy in your mind as well. Um, and really taking the effort because it does take effort, I think, uh, to do this sometimes to pay a little bit more attention, but to put in that effort for your kids in order to, um, you know, to have them be healthy overall. Um, something that I really love about your story 
is that you are now working with people online, but that you used to work in eating disorder clinics. Yeah. So what I know that the world of eating disorder, I'm an eating disorder survivor. I had bulimia and anorexia uh, as a teenager from like 14 to, I don't know, 16 maybe. Um, so it's something that's very near and dear to my heart. Um, what, is there anything different between the world of eating disorders uh, in the way that you saw being in that world for so long versus how you coach people now? Um, I mean, I definitely, uh, you can get quicker to the more life changing stuff, you know, like the life coaching and people can have breakthroughs quicker. It might take a little bit longer, like in the clinic, especially when you're working with kids, like when you, um, a lot, I mean, the, the clinic I was at, it, we had 12 year olds to 70. Mm. Um, so it definitely was like a wide range. I think it was just sometimes the identity piece, um, that needed a little bit longer sometimes to work through for some people, meaning like, you know, if they were in a family dynamic where, you know, they were the one who was struggling and that's how they got attention. Um, you know, all the, the, sometimes there was just more serious things going on at home that weren't going to be fixed right away. And so they just needed more structure, more love, more care. Um, but also just, sometimes they just needed to like laugh and know they were heard and like how powerful. Cause the thing that I learned when I was in the clinic is like, they would always, it's like, I'm not here to police you. Like you teach me sometimes way more than I teach yeah. you. Like, yes. I think that they don't realize how powerful they are. Yeah. Like, you know, like a lot of them are empaths. They're really powerful. Like they have such special gifts, like, and they think they're worthless, but it's like, oh man, if you saw what I saw, yeah. um, it's really was, it's, it's like, you're meant to do great things. I, I know you are. And, um, and they just needed someone to believe in them, um, and to show them that way. And, um, so it was really special and they really taught me the lesson of, um, stories. Mm. Uh, like, you know, I would have someone come in and I was the dietitian, right? So it's like, I want to throw a plate at your head. Like they would come in, you know, sometimes I would, sometimes not all the time. It would be that anger would be at me, but I knew that last night the mother drank too much and was yelling at her and she was stressed out. Right. Mm -hmm. So I knew what brought up to that moment. So I could come at with compassion and empathy and allow her to get her anger out and feel heard and to move through it and to have that experience. My life changed when I started to take that outside of the clinic and I would go to the Whole Foods and I would see a man screaming at the register and instead of being like, ugh, like what is wrong with people? I would say, I wonder what happened to him that led up to that point. It doesn't make the behavior okay but my empathy grew immensely and I stopped looking at someone who cut me off as a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> so, but as like, you know, I wonder what's going on in their life, you know, that they, and I can just, I was able to let things go so much faster. Mm. Um, I think that, you know, they're just such great teachers. So yeah, levels of severity, like in terms of 
sometimes you couldn't do the life coaching work or that kind of work because they just needed to get nourished. Their brain wasn't functioning properly. And so whether they were struggling with bulimia or anorexia, like if they didn't have the nutrition, they just weren't even able to process it in the same way. And so I think that there was like different levels. I definitely practiced, um, I would, up until somebody was financially independent, I wanted the parents to be involved, even if they had to sign their release. Um, because I, they, they needed to take over the control of the food until they were nourished and then could do it themselves. So there's just those different pieces of depending on where someone was on their struggle yeah. that was just handled in a different way. Um, but I always took on the um, responsibility to myself that I was not there to just tell them what to do. I wanted them to understand why. So yeah. if I was asking them to eat a brownie, and they were like, why? I can go my whole life without eating a brownie and be nutritionally fine. And I'm like, you're totally right. It's a completely valid point. Why do you think I want you to eat the brownie? And then I would listen. And then I would say, the way that I, how you are in life is how you are with food. Mm-hmm. So when you're eating this brownie and it feel, you feel anxious and you feel guilty and you feel like you want to crawl out of your skin and um, you have anxiety, and then it passed, I worked with you, and then it passed. When you get that call that you didn't get the job, or you, your boyfriend breaks up with you, or you get that, you know what I mean? It's, it really is simulating that. We're doing so much more than making a brownie neutral. Yes. <laughs> and then, and it, and it would, when I would see that click in them and say, oh, I just felt like they needed that kind of respect. Um, to understand it on a bigger level instead of just like, because you need to eat the brownie. Yeah, yes, yes. That's just not true. (laughs) Yeah, and it's good for, you know, I think empowering too to have the knowledge behind the scenes as to why, uh, because that's where the lessons are. Yeah. You know, and and that's something that you can really take with you for the rest of your life. Um, I know that you also teach intuitive eating in your practice. And Intuitive eating is something that I kind of, um, I mean, there's so many different ways that people teach it nowadays, and I'm not fully on board. I'm in a lot of, I talk about this a lot too, how I'm in um, some intuitive eating like support groups, just so I can see what people are talking about, what people are struggling with, the things that they are um, having problems with, with intuitive eating. And many of them are eating things that are not working for them because they have let go of diet culture. They're so anti-diet that they're like any form of any healthy eating is gross to me. Yes. I'm so glad you're bringing this up. Yes. So I would love to hear about how you teach intuitive eating and what you think about that specifically, just because that's my biggest issue with it. Yeah. That, yeah, I, I am on the same page as you and I, okay. So, um, a couple things Uh, you have, yes, we want to neutralize food, but intuitive eating can become a diet. Yes. It can become the eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full, like, and people want us to have this perfect fullness and this, you know, stop to it. And then it also can become, well, I can have anything that I want. So I always have to choose the cheeseburger and the French fries and the pizza to prove that it's okay. Yeah. And I'm like, you're still in the diet mentality because if you truly 
like if you truly knew that you could have it anytime you want it, you would, the sign that you fully embraced it is you actually, you don't need it. Like I love cheesecake, but I go to the cheesecake factory and I don't order cheesecake. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I'm like, that looks good, but you know, so it's like, we all, you want more energy. You want to be healthy. You want to live your best life that, and so eating all of that all the time, that sh- should not make you feel that way and you should not want to do it. So it, it can actually be a mask like to that level with the work. Um, so I think that that's just a level of like, this is going to happen. So let's call that out. Right. And like, cause they're still resistant. Like if there's still resistance, if you're still considering it like salad with chicken is not a diet food. Yes. If you, if you, if you come <laughs> if into you truly this work, want it. yeah, if you come into this work and you are eating it and it's like the number one thing you ate all the time, cause you're on a diet and it feels triggering to you. Right. Then you remove it for a period of time to just like be like, okay, like let's just work on the other foods and whatever. But there should come a turning point where it's like you're craving it. And it's, it's like, you know, cause I'll have you, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I ate a salad. I'm like, awesome. Did it yes. taste good? Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, you feel satisfied? Yeah. Like, isn't that, you know, like, your body should be craving things that give you energy and taste really good yes. and all of that stuff. So I think it's, I think that's a sign of not being an intuitive eater that that's a, there's still a level of emotional eating there that has not been fixed or removed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I teach like, we're not anti diet. Um, that's what I teach. I'm like, I, I am not waging war on diets. Um, there is a marketing industry. There is a diet industry. Um, and it's about you becoming so powerful within yourself that you don't get swayed or triggered because you know what works for you because I'm fine if someone follows keto or vegan. I'm not like, I don't consider it a diet if why you're doing it is because it feels really good to you. Um, and you enjoy it and it works and you don't have to think that much about it. Um, and if you go off or stray or go on vacation, you're fine. It doesn't, it doesn't bug you. Um, you know, so I feel like it's that intention, the why, that peace behind it. You can be a vegan because it ethically works for you and it's your belief system and it feels good or because you hate your body and you want to lose weight. So mm. always kind of looking at that why. But if you want to wage war on diets, I think you're going to be up for a life of anger and frustration and that's not empowering. <laughs> no, and it doesn't feel good. No. Yeah, and that's what I see. You know, many of these women are saying, you know, it's been three months since I started my intuitive eating journey, and I don't want to go back to dieting, you know, quote unquote, I'm doing like the quote unquote sign. I don't want to go back to dieting. So that means that I can never have a green vegetable again. Because every time I do that, it means that I'm going back to dieting and I'm so anti-diet at this point. It just breaks my heart because I'm like, there's another way that you can do this. And and in my opinion, when it comes to eating, and I feel this way about the scale as well, anything that is extreme in any direction, so like being really, really uh, restrictive, and we know that's typical dieting, and then also being, um, you know, have feeling that hatred towards any sort of healthy eating. And the same thing with the scale. Many people ask me about that too. I'm like, if the scale can just be like a neutral tool, 
for you to uh, have a piece of data about yourself, like whatever. If you feel like you don't want to have it in your house too, that's fine too if it's what makes you feel most comfortable. But I see many people like smashing scales and doing all these things and I'm like that to me is problematic too because there's too much effort into dismantling the, you know, just an object that tells us how much, you know, how many pounds we weigh. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I agree with you. I also do do like we used to do ceremonies at the eating disorder clinic, kind of just to get out anger and like, yes. you know what I mean? Like, cause it had such a stigma to it. Yes. Um, I, so we would do that. And I also used to, um, weigh myself in front of them, then get off the scale, drink two cups of water and weigh myself again. Yes. Um, just to show them like, like I just, one, I just gained a pound just from drinking the water, but two, now that you know my weight, do you think of me differently? Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. So I, I used to do both. Um, and I look at it like the, the food, like I do have people remove the scales, um, because they're weighing themselves all the time and yes. they're, you know, to work so that they can do the body work, the yes. mirror work, the, the you have, like, we're not this whole culture of like, you're beautiful on the inside. Okay. Why are we ignoring the outside? I'm yeah. sorry. I don't understand. Like you, ha we all have a body. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, so like, let's, let's be present with it. And, um, but I agree. I think once you move through it, like it's where, you know, where do you stand? Like it's, it's fine. If you can, there are some people who can't, Yes, like it totally. needs to be gone forever. Right. So, um, but yeah, I, I agree that it's just about every person. I think I hold space for everyone individually. And mm -hmm. I just always ask them, ask yourself, why is it starting to take up your thoughts? take a, you know, cause a lot of emotions. And if it does, what's your minimum threshold of starting to struggle before you reach out? Are you going to give yourself one day, two days, three days, but we need to define that at the end of this work because like so much of the intuitive eating work, sometimes they'll do it like a diet. Yes. I did this work for three months. Yes. Right. And then it's like, it's over. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's no, it's, it's not, it's not over. And if you struggled with food and body, anytime something comes up, right? Like that's how your body's going to talk to you. So it's going to come back again. So yes. that's why I have them set that minimum threshold of like, when are you going to reach out? Yes. Yeah. And I think, you know, in terms of skill, like you said, there are moments when it can be cathartic to do something like that, especially if it has caused you so much strife in your life. Um, and I think ultimately like dieting or not like eating, it's about just knowing what works for you and honoring that and really yeah. having the awareness around, around whatever it is. Um, something else that I would love to talk to you about is that I came into this work because I struggled for so long. And I saw the transformation that I had uh, when I began to heal my relationship with food versus just finding the next shiny thing that was going to, you know, occupy my thoughts for the next whatever it was. So I would love to know if you have a story in that way as well that the listeners can relate to. And then also um, kind of a two part question, what is the transformation that you see on a deeper level for your clients? And maybe you had that yourself too. 
Yeah. Um, I don't have an eating, I didn't struggle with an eating disorder. It was more just like that blanket feeling of addiction. Mine manifested more in alcohol when I was like in college. Um, I, my parents, you know, I love that. We have a great relationship. They didn't necessarily talk to me about the fact that alcoholism ran in our family and that I might not be able to handle it on the same level as someone else. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think it took me a while to realize what was going on because so many other people in college were drinking. So it didn't seem like mine was like on a different level a little bit. Like I didn't know when to stop, but there was also a lot of other people that were not this, you know, so it took me a little bit longer to be like, yeah, this is not normal though. This is like next level. Yes. And, um, and we never really had the discussion. Mm. Um, you know, I would have an incident where I would like lose my purse or something because I drank too much and my parents would just come down and buy me a new purse and take care of it. Like we didn't necessarily talk about it. Yes. Like what action can I take right now to make this better? Yeah. Yeah. I think it was when I was living in New York city and I called my sister and I said, I think I need to like stop drinking like for 30 days just to prove I can, because I was finding like, I was just vacuuming, have a glass of wine, mm. cooking, have a glass of wine, like, so, you know, and so easy like, to do that, you know, and, and it's part of the narrative nowadays, too, time. of like, you know, all of the memes and all of like the, you know, especially in mom culture, uh, oh my, too. Yes. So play dates. Like, yes. Have a glass of wine. Or in my sippy uh, cup, there's wine in here. Uh, yeah. I think that can be problematic, too. Um, yeah. So it was definitely more with the alcohol. Um, like it could have been easily been the food. It could have easily been. So I, it, it's that all or nothing, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, I think learning to live in the gray area is a skill yes. that is just so beneficial and to stop defining yourself as an all or nothing black or white person. It's not true. You can learn the skill of gray. And I know that cause that was me. Um, and from a transformation like point of view, what happened was when I was in the eating disorder clinic, so I wasn't struggling with food. I was working with them. I'm happy. And I was crying all of the time after my kids were born. I was crying in my office. I, I just was not fulfilled or happy and I didn't know why. And what I realized was, is I had a deeper part of me that wanted to have, that was creative, that wanted to write books. I wanted to start a business, but I didn't, believe that I could. And I was doing it with business, what they were doing with food. And so it was like, how you are in life is how you are with food, right? And so I have found that when you work on the food and the body image stuff, it is like, it opens you up, it builds your confidence, something that you thought you could never get over, you have. And it allows you to realize that person that you've been stuffing down and trying to shrink and hide um, for so long. I mean, I've seen people, my favorite story, this woman was a, and so many women I think are going to relate to this. They're like, and have even one kid. She was working at a school as a receptionist she went to school to be like an actor and she was like, I'm too old. It's too late for me. I can't do that. This is like, I don't have the right education and this is what I'm stuck doing. 
She wasn't happy with the house. She wanted a different house. And it was like every reason I can't get another house. I can't get another job. I, I, my husband's never going to agree. He doesn't want me to hire someone to clean the house. I mean, every story, right? Soon as she did the food work, she started, I had her go sign up for an improv class. Now here's the thing. She hated it the first three weeks because it was so uncomfortable. Yeah. But I told her she had to stick it out anyway before she knew. And then she didn't have to re-sign up. By the time it was over, she signed up for another one, like had all these other things on her mind, started auditioning for voiceovers. Oh, wow. Like, it couldn't even occur. Well, how can I use my creativity? I can do improv. I could do voiceovers. You don't have to be an actor on TV. And then she sold her house, got a different house. I mean, her whole life changed. And it's just that that's the funnest part. It's yeah. like, you don't even know, you do not even know what's going to come into your life when you remove, when you reclaim all that energy that you've been exhausting, like yes. every day. Yeah. And I feel like when I quit my job and I started my business, like my business took off. Like my husband left his job. We moved to Costa Rica for a year. Now we're in Florida. We were in New Jersey. Like my entire trajectory of my life has changed from making that one decision to push past something really uncomfortable. And I feel like this is the same. Yes, absolutely. And I always let my clients know in any area of their life, because now I work with, um, I work with people for, um, you know, their relationship with food, coaching them around that. I do business coaching as well. And many people are resistant to that discomfort and nothing will make you more uncomfortable than business. And then also, um, and putting yourself out there and talking about yourself, promoting yourself. Uh, for me, I always say like, it's weird to see myself on my Instagram feed, like my face everywhere, like, Hey, here I am again. Um, that was really uncomfortable for me at the beginning, but I always encourage them to, like you said, embrace that discomfort and then to know that it's going to come. And I think that a lot of people ask me like, oh, do you, um, you just must not feel scared anymore to do a podcast or to be on video or any of these things. And I'm like, I'm scared a lot of the time. Sometimes I'm not, you know, because it feels natural and fun. Uh, and there's definitely a learning curve involved, but many things like I'm scared, but I do it anyway. And the payoff that I get from that is uh, exponential. So can you talk about how uh, important it is to be able to embrace discomfort in our lives and maybe some tools that you've used in your life as well? Yeah, I think what I realized is if we don't, if I don't push myself, just go, just leap and like figure it out, like go all in, right? So I call it smashing the scale, but I don't mean always literally, right? Yeah. It's just that metaphor for going all in, yes, right? And yes. so that's kind of why I do that ceremony. It's not about the anti as much like never get on a scale, but it's yes. like all in, I'm all in with this work. Um, and the reason that I have found that's the best tool or advice is because if you don't, you're actually creating more pain. You're mm, like such sitting in the pain so much longer. Oh God, yes. Like, why not want to get out of it as fast as you can? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like remember when I started my business, I didn't want to sell. I was always negotiating my prices, right? And I would attract that people who were getting angry about my prices and all of this stuff. And I, it wasn't until I said, 
I don't want to do this anymore. So I ended up, this was six or seven years ago. I was like, I'm going to join. What's the like most salesy, uncomfortable thing I can do? Okay. Network marketing. I'll do that. And I just joined. I've since sold that business, but that thousand dollar investment parlayed into $1.1 million. Like I grew a huge organ. I got over my fear and I realized, Oh, it's really just coaching and relationship building. Like if I can do that, then now take it to what I love. And I just feel like just who can't like let go of this idea of what the path should look like and just open your heart and your mind because the pain goes away so much faster when you do that. Even when I got to Costa Rica, I was like, okay, that was my thing, right? I did all that work and now I'm here. I'm here in my vision three years later. And it was so uncomfortable because I had no more new vision. And I had like, you had, so it was like, okay, that lesson when I was in Costa Rica was there's going to be seasons and, and you're going to grow and then you have to get uncomfortable again. And that's just like this. I think the first time I did it, it was like, let me do this. Let me get out of the pain. So then I never have to do this again. And that's just yes. a massage. It's not true. Yeah. Like you're not like the way I look, like you get to the top of the mountain and there's another mountain. Yeah. But I think also when you go through this work and you see, like I always tell my clients, we don't want to rush through for you to get to this magical day because that's really what a diet does, right? Mm-hmm. Like, why not just fall in love with it? Because anytime I hit the top of a goal, that wasn't the best feeling. It was the the those little wins, yes, those like journey. getting gritty. Yeah, like that. You know, the things that make your heart race, and you're like, I did it. Like that's the fun part. So why do we want to get to some perfect place? Like, I don't understand. It's, that's not the fun part. I know. But I think that's almost the human condition in a way that we want to like run from pain and just be comfortable. Uh, and once I kind of knew that that was my default, that like the brain is always going to be looking for what's yes. comfortable. Uh, that really helped me too. Cause I'm like, Oh, if, I, if something is uncomfortable to me, that just means I'm growing now. Yeah. And I think it's important to reiterate as well that even with food or business, you never really get there, you know, and there's nowhere to get. Yeah, I know? think that was the biggest lesson I have now. I didn't have that five years ago, which was I'm not what's next. But after that, there'll be another what's next. And that's a good thing. Yeah. Like it's kind of the thing is, is like when I sold my house in New Jersey, so we like I had everything that I said I wanted. Right. I had the picket white picket fence and the two kids and my husband worked in the city. And it was it was what I thought I wanted. And I didn't know why I wasn't happy. And I it was like one day when um, my husband came home and he fell on the couch and he was like, I feel like my soul is dying. Like mm. it was like 930 at night. He missed the kids putting them to bed and. I just realized I have a decision to make. This is so uncomfortable for me. But if I don't do it, I know what my life is going to look like for the rest of my life. And I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to. Is that when you were working in the clinic up there? Yeah. Well, I had even after I left the clinic and I just started like a local private practice and mm -hmm. then I was, you know, at the time doing that network marketing business, which I don't do anymore, but, um, I was doing that while he was working. And mm. so it was, it was just, 
life, you know, working from home and he worked, but he was never home. And I just felt like bored. Like, you know what it was? It was like when your kids go into kindergarten, I had this belief that you have to stay in one school and you can't leave because it's going to hurt hurt the kids because then they're not going to make friends. Mm -hmm. That was just a belief that I was raised with. And so I was like, Oh my gosh, they're going to get into kindergarten. And then I, that's it. We're here for the rest of my life. And it freaked me out. Totally. And I was like, I don't want to live in Costa Rica for the rest of my life, but I don't know where I want to go. So we need to go there. And I felt like God or the universe or whatever you believe in is calling me there. I thought it was to take my business to the next level. It turns out it was to save my marriage because my husband and I were working so much. We were like on totally different mountains Mm -hmm. and it really was a year of healing and bringing my family together. And, um, you know, so that's why I say just be open to the why. Like I knew I had felt this pull and to, for, to move abroad for a year, but I thought it was like to challenge myself or to learn a new language or to lifestyle market. I mean, how like not deep is that? Yeah. (laughs) You know, but that's where I was thinking, Mm -hmm. but it was not, it was, it was to save, I believe it was to save my marriage. And, um, so you, you know, just staying open to whatever lessons and knowing it's not always going to look how you think it's going to look. Um, and what I learned in Costa Rica was like, you don't have to, you don't have to leave the country to do this. Um, I don't regret doing that, but, um, but it also introduced me to a bunch of people who live their lives in really cool ways. Mm. Um, and their kids are very happy. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think that we can put a lot of pressure for, on ourselves for, um, doing what we think society expects from us versus exploring what actually makes us happy. Uh, And I'm really going through, I've, that's been my journey for the past six years is like, um, you know, having everything quote unquote be perfect and then just not being happy and being like, what's going on here? (laughs) This is what is, this is what I've been working towards for like my whole life. And it's not fulfilling me. Um, yeah. And not know. feeling guilty over that. Like, yes, it's because okay. many people feel guilty. Yes. And yeah, I like, felt guilty at the beginning. About I should it be too. grateful. I yes. should be, um, you, you can be grateful and not feel fulfilled or want something more. Yes, like, for sure. You, it can be both. Um, so I, I know I, I found when I was leaving for Costa Rica, a lot of people said to me, you'll never be able to buy back in because it was an expensive area. You'll never be able to buy back in. Uh, I will, if I want to, I'll find a way. Um, what are you running from? What's the other thing? What are you running from? And I started to doubt myself because it was like months of hearing this. And I thankfully had an amazing friend who said, um, why don't you go in this business group? I think it was Marie Forleo's B school. Why don't you go in there Uh and post, has anyone moved abroad or whatever? 365 comments later, friend requests, people sending me advice, guides, help, you know, all of that stuff, telling me that's their goal. I wasn't alone anymore. And in that moment, I just, it was like a a reminder of that lesson. Like we can shift our environment at any time. Yeah. And we don't have to stay stuck from the weirdo to normal. Yes. From the weirdo to normal. So true. Uh, you know, and, and, 
this conversation is just so near and dear to my heart because I, you know, live an unconventional life. Since I work from home, people are like, hey, let's, you know, can you come spend the day with me on Thursday? Like you're working from home. And I'm like, I I don't just sit around at home. Like I'm doing work. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm just like not, not, not working, you know? Yeah. So I think that that's interesting. And I think it goes back to trusting your intuition and trusting that voice that we have inside. Um, no matter what it is telling us to do, it's telling us that for a reason. Um, so I really, really love everything that you just said. Um, we're getting towards the end of the conversation. I could probably talk to you forever. (laughs) Um, I'll have to have you on again at some point in the future. Um, I always ask a couple of quick fire questions at the end. Um, the first one is that my listeners and I are huge readers, you know, we're always reading books. So are there any books that have really changed your life or just a memorable book that you would love to tell the listeners about? I feel like, well, actually I have it right here. I always, it's like, I love this book and I, I feel bad because I think it's a famous author and I can't pronounce it. It's called Peace is Every Step, The oh, Path of Mindfulness of in Every Day. Um, it's T-H-I-C-H. How do you pronounce his name? Oh, Titnut Han? Yes, yes, thank you. Yes. Oh yeah, I know. I and I don't even think it. I'm doing it right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I but carry, he's, I, yes. yeah, I, I carry it around. I, it, it's like a pocketbook. And what I love about it is that there's just little lessons that you could go in and find and read really quick if you're feeling that chaos going on in your mind. I love this book. Awesome. Um, Another question that I ask is, if you were on death row, what would be your last meal? Oh, my goodness. Mm. That's a great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, because that means that's a food you really love. And it could really be anything. Like, it could be something that's five courses. It could be one food item, just like your favorite thing in the world or many things. I think it would be a really great piece of steak mm-hmm. um, with, like, a fully loaded baked potato and some cream spinach <laughs> oh man have you been to burns no burns steakhouse it's nearby uh it's I in tampa steakhouse but that place is amazing and it's not that expensive um they have like not everything is a la carte so if you order a steak you get like a bunch of sides it's an experience um everything there it's just a really really memorable place to go um another question I that experience. i that i love is You know, here on this podcast, we talk a lot about like spirituality and what is out there in terms of like our life purpose and things like that. So what are your views on like God, the universe, um, all of that stuff? Yeah, I mean, I so I was raised in an Episcopal church where um, I I mean, I loved it. It was like family, but you had to go every Sunday. And if if I stayed home sick, I couldn't leave for the day because I didn't go to church. And I don't, I got, for for whatever reason, I felt resistant to going to church. Um, but I, it, my life changed when I started to connect to God and to, you know, find it on a different level. It was actually through the course in miracles that I started to say, this is something I can really believe in, wrap my head around. It, it makes sense to me. I always felt like I questioned things a lot. And so for me, I have found that um, 
I have never felt more connected to God, the universe, spirit. I don't always label it. I'll use it. You know, I do believe in God. Um, and so prayer and meditation and um, my, I have a Bible in my house and I, my kids will read some prayers or will pray. Like I think praying is a form of, of that. Um, but I feel more connected now with my practices in the morning and at night um, than I did um, at church. And it's funny that now that I do those practices, I am actually open to a church because of the community, because I look at it in a different way. Um, but yeah, I had to go through, I went through a resistance phase and I didn't know why, but, um, but my life has changed since I, I read the course in miracles. Yeah, <laughs> I will yeah. not read it, but yes, looked at the ideas and become to, comfortable with those ideas, yeah. which starts with like a lesson about a chair, like this chair is not a chair. Uh, and then yes. it just gets deeper into all of those things. But uh, yeah, I've been reading that reading, like we talked about at the yes. beginning, that book f since 2011. Uh, it just makes sense to me. Yes. It's really, it's, I, you know what it was when they say like, fear is the opposite of love, but what's all encompassing has no opposite. Yes. At, like, like, I just felt like, I, I want to believe this. Like, yeah. that's yeah. And and also I think as well like if I believe this I don't suffer as much. And that's and that's enough for me. <laughs> you know what yes. I mean? Um, I'm at peace. Yes. Like you know after I sold my network marketing business like I should have been like stressed out about money or something, but I was like I was like I feel peaceful every single day. I have faith, I trust. Um I'm happier yes. with believing the principles in that book. Yes. Yeah. Yes, which and I love the one that says um a shift in perception is a miracle in and of itself, which sometimes like I really think people there's like this misconception out there in spirituality that like if you do enough stuff, if you read enough, if you journal enough, then you're going to get to this place that like you're perfect and you don't have any thoughts that might be uh, negative or whatever. Right. And and I think that that is untrue and and almost damaging for people because I don't think as humans that we can ever stop having those egoic thoughts but it's like how am I going to uh perceive this now and what am I going to do after I have the thought and how do I approach that thought do I spiral or yeah. do I come in with a more loving voice and a compassionate voice and um take it from there yeah I know. I don't know if we have time, but that the what I have to say the the best lesson is when they say every person you meet is your savior or your crucifier, mm. depending on whether you have an open heart. That has that has been game changing for me. Yes. <laughs> like when I feel upset or I'm having a difficult conversation, it's like open your heart, Karen. Open your heart. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Everything is a lesson, um, which I love. But I've had such an amazing time talking to you. Um, thank you for all of your insights and your perspective and your story. Uh, let the listeners know where they can find you online. You know, let them know about your book too and if they want to work with you as well. Yeah, well, first, thank you. And thank oh, you for the pleasure. work that you do. I always, oh, you. Um, you know, it's just so, there can't be enough of us. Yes. Um, I truly believe that. Um, I, I My website is thefreelife.com and my book is within making peace with food and body image to create a healthy, happy home. And that's on Amazon. Awesome. Um, so you can find that on Amazon. Awesome. We'll put all of that in the show notes. And thank you again, Karen. I look forward to talking with you again. Yes. Thank you so much. Have a great. My pleasure.